Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, we have quite a few off on vacation this morning, several different families and ladies, and nobody even asked me if I want to go vacation with them, so I'm going to have to have a stern talking with them when they get back. But it's good to see you all here. It's good to see our group from Virginia uh, this morning as they are traveling on their way to fuel, um, which will be a good week. Uh, I failed to mention uh, last week that not this past Tuesday, but the Tuesday before that, uh, Jamie and I, we had a doctor's appointment. Uh, well, she had a doctor's appointment that I went to, and, uh, and uh, the gender of our baby was revealed, and it is a baby boy. Um, so we are excited for that. I uh, didn't want to steal from Anthony's thunder last week, as it was all about him last week, as uh, if you were here uh, we all got to celebrate as a young gentleman, Anthony, uh, gave, devoted his life to God and his son, Jesus Christ, through uh, the waters of baptism. So that was a joy to see, a joy to know the gender of our baby. And on top of all that, uh, it was my birthday on Tuesday. I just turned 16. Um, <laughs> kidding. I may look it, but I'm not quite. Uh, but uh, so it was my birthday on Tuesday. And uh, Jamie and I, we had plans. Uh, we were going to go. It was cow day on Tuesday. Anybody do cow day on Tuesday at Chick-fil-A? Yeah, you know, one person. I will. You will? <laughs> I'm disappointed, yes. Uh, cow day, Chick-fil-A has a cow day every year where you dress up as a cow and you get a free entree. Last year in South Carolina, we did this. And we went with a number of different people and we hit like seven different Chick-fil-A's in the one day, got our free entrees, and we, we, we ate well that week. But So we were going to Chick-fil-A. We drove all the way down to Beaver Creek. Uh, it was like 30, 35-minute drive. And so uh, we, her mother uh, got us cow shirts for, for my birthday uh, so that we could get our free entree. And so I was changing in the car. And uh, as I was doing that, uh, I threw my keys onto the seat and uh, I threw my shirt on top of it, and I proceeded to walk out the door and hit the lock button and close the door, and I do the, and I do the triple, triple tap or triple touch. I got my phone, my wallet. Where are my keys? And so Jamie's walked out of bed. I was like, Jamie, do you have the keys? And she said, no. I go, oh, great. I locked my keys in the car. That was my very first time, of course, on my birthday, so we or she had AAA, so she called AAA. They came an hour later. And we were also going to see the Spider-Man movie after Chick-fil-A, uh, but AAA took too long, so we didn't get to see the movie. So we got Chick-fil-A. We got a free entree. Uh, drove 35 minutes for it, but I love Chick-fil-A. So, yeah, I got my Chick-fil-A. I had a cow shirt. Yep, I had a cow shirt that had the polka dots and everything, and, and I, was, I was grumpy that night, and, yeah, I was... <laughs> Probably no fun to be around, um, but I was looking forward to see the Spider-Man movie. Uh, did anybody see the new Spider-Man movie? Yes, a handful of people. I was looking forward to seeing it because, again, I'm big into superhero movies. I like the superheroes. I love a good story about a hero, whether true or not. And studies show that America and really the world is really into the superhero genre. As we took a, a look at last week, how the new Marvel Avengers Endgame broke 36 box office records. 
that, more, that, that tripled the previous record. And so it, it was a huge deal. People are loving the superhero genre. And so last week, we started a series entitled Heroes of Our Faith. And so we're going to continue that this morning and talking about heroes of our faith. Because we turn to the movies and comics and stuff to read about or watch these movies about these awesome superheroes, which are just pretend. Um, but... God's word is filled with heroes of our faith. It is absolutely filled with heroes of our faith that some of the superheroes that we just fantasize about, they can't do half the stuff that the heroes in our Bible, real people who lived thousands of years, years ago, did. And so we're going to spend, we're, we're, we're spending six weeks talking about the heroes of our faith, and we're just going to scratch the surface of all the heroes that are found in our faith. And so last week we talked about Daniel, and we took a look at how Daniel, um, in chapter 1, he was, present, or he was taken captive. The Babylonians took captive of the nation of Judah, and the Babylonians took many of the Jews along with them, some of the fine young Jews. And Daniel being one of them, he was sent to Babylon, like a thousand miles away from his home. And they all presented the king's food, like the best of the best food. Um, but Daniel didn't want it to, to defile himself with the king's food and the king's drink, what suggests that it was, went contrary to the dietary laws that they had. And so all the other peers around Daniel were eating the king's food and drinking the, the king's drink, the best of the best, but Daniel didn't want to defile his body. Daniel didn't fall into the peer pressure around him. Daniel did not compromise his standards no matter what was presented his way. And then we took a look in chapter 6, probably a story that many of us are familiar with, Daniel in the Den of Lions, and how Daniel's life was on the line. His life was on the line of whether or not he's going to pray and petition to his God. But he didn't even let the threat of his life compromise his standards of seeking God diligently. And so we saw last week the excellent example of Daniel and how no matter what came his way, he was not willing to compromise his standards of pleasing and seeking the Lord with all of his ways. And, and we can learn from that, and we can draw from that. And so today, the hero that we're talking about is the hero of Paul. Uh, we, we just started uh, in our Sunday school class, uh, we started reading um, from uh, the book or the letter of Colossians, who was written by Paul. Um, but Paul uh, was formerly uh, known as Saul. And Saul, was, he is kind of known as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he was just a young lad early in his years, and he was part of the Pharisees. And again, the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees were just a sect of the Jews. So Paul or Saul was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He could trace his lineage back uh, to one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the tribe of Benjamin. And he was just a young Pharisee working his way up the ranks. He was considered a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so we have to remember the Jews too, if we put ourselves in their shoes and their perspective, the Jews, they were, they were waiting for the Messiah to come for thousands and some thousands and thousands of years. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first reference of the Messiah or the Savior that was to come. All the way back from the very beginning of Scripture, we see that the Jews, the people of God, they were seeking the Messiah to come. They were waiting for the Savior of the world. 
And with that came a lot, a lot of false uh, messiahs. Uh, we, we talked about this before. And these false messiahs came. And they claimed, I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. And they would uh, continue in their ministry, but eventually they would die. And that would be the end of their claim of being Messiah. Um, and so many, many people came along claiming to be the Messiah, but they all proved to be false messiahs. And so one day, this man, Jesus, comes along, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus comes along, and he's, tell, he's talking to these Jews, and he's saying, I am the Son of God. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the man whom your people have been seeking for thousands and thousands of years. And so as you can imagine, there, there was a lot of backlash. There were a lot of people who did not believe Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of God, even though God himself in Matthew 3.17 stated that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. But many people didn't choose to believe that Jesus indeed was the Son of God, that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, he was the anointed one, the chosen one. And so the Jews, they were not happy with this. They, they viewed Jesus as their enemy because they saw a guy claiming to be their Messiah, their Savior of the world, when they didn't really think that he was. So we all know the story of Jesus dying on the cross. The Jews put Jesus to death on the cross. And so they were riled up about Jesus. And, but Jesus, he accumulated a lot of followers. A lot of people went on this Jesus movement. These people who followed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this movement was becoming more and more popular. And so here are the Jews. Not thinking, a lot of the Jews, not thinking that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Christ. And they see that there's becoming a big movement. More and more people are claiming that Jesus is indeed the Christ. So they have to do something about it. And so what do they do? Uh, probably, probably not the best method uh, to go along and taking care of it, especially since Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But these Jews... They were throwing these Christians, these followers of Christ, into prison. These Christians, were put, or these Christians were put in prison just because of the faith that they had in Jesus Christ. And on top of that, some of these Christians were put to death by the Jews because of the faith that they had that Jesus was the Christ. And so we, so we put ourselves in Paul's shoes. Paul or Saul being a Pharisee of Pharisees, being like a top-notch Jew. He, he, he was a zealous Jew. He, he took his faith very seriously, and he was very legalistic about what he had to do. And so Saul, seeing that his other, his other followers of this Jewish movement, seeing that they were throwing Christians in prison and putting them to death, Saul did the same thing. Saul, who, who's known as Paul now, he threw Christians in prison, and he led many Christians to their death. Paul had a, a key role, a big role in the death of many Christians. You could, easily make the, you could easily make the point that Paul or Saul is a mass murderer. A mass murderer, not just of anybody, not of like the criminals who do bad, but a mass murderer of the Christians, of people like you and I. And so Paul, or Saul, formerly known as Saul, he was not a good guy by any means, but he was just, he was just seeking uh, what he thought was God um, and his religion and putting to death these Christians and throwing them into prison. And so we read the story of Paul. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Acts. 
In the book of Acts, we're going to start in uh, chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 58 of chapter 7. Acts being the book of the ministry that took place, the first, the early church that took place right after Jesus was alive and had his earthly ministry. And in Acts chapter 7, uh, we, we are introduced to a guy with the name of Stephen. Many of you guys may be familiar with Stephen. Uh, Stephen, uh, like many other people around him, Stephen puts his faith in Jesus Christ. He said that, yes, Jesus Christ truly is our Lord and Savior. He's truly the Son of God whom, whom we've been waiting for a long time for. And so Stephen had this faith, and so here comes along the Jews... And the Jews were seeking to put Stephen to death. They were going to stone him. They're going to throw rocks at him until he was to die. And so here we, we see in verse 58 of chapter 7. Then they, the Jews, then the Jews cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Or as we know, uh, asleep is a euphemism for death in, in the scriptures. And so here we see that Saul was found at the stoning of the martyr Stephen. Saul condoned and approved the behavior of the Jews who stoned Stephen to death. The audacity, the audacity as Stephen was praying, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen, having forgiveness for the people who were stoning him to death, and Saul was there for all of it. He condoned their behavior. He approved their behavior. He encouraged their behavior of stoning Stephen, a wonderful man of God who was seeking God and, and his son, Jesus Christ. And we continue in chapter 8, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So here we are in Jerusalem, the, the, like the sender of the Jews, the capital for the Jews. And here Paul or Saul is persecuting these Christians to go along with many other Jews. And these Christians, they, they scatter throughout the land because it's no longer safe for the Christians to remain in Jerusalem because of the, the severe persecution of the Jews towards the Christians. And the writer of Acts, Luke, uses language in verse 3 that says, Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering house after house. He was barging, knocking down doors, house after house, to throw these Christians into prison. Saul was not a guy you'd want to hang around with if you were a Christian. He was a scary man if you were a Christian, as he severely persecuted these Christians. And Saul, later on, Paul considered himself the chief sinner, like the greatest sinner. And, we, and again, we took a look at that verse a couple of weeks ago as well. He considered himself the chief sinner, like the worst sinner that this world has ever seen. He considered himself that because of the persecution he committed against the Christians and throwing them into prison and committing them to death. 
And so we continue in the story. Chapter 8 is, is really about a different man named Philip who, who was preaching and teaching. And so we continue in chapter 9, continue the story of Saul. So chapter 9, uh, we'll start in verse 1. And it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here's Saul. He's still breathing threats towards these Christians. It, it mentions the way. That's just another way uh, how they refer to the Christians uh, in, in their early movement. And so the, he was looking for people belonging to the way or basically belonging to Jesus Christ, these Christians. And so he was in Jerusalem where a lot of Christians gathered, but they all, they all scattered because of the severe persecutions. And so Saul went to some of the chief priests. He says, give me a list uh, of, of the synagogues in Damascus, a city about 100 miles to the north, so that I can hunt down any Christians. He was that on fire to persecute these Christians and, and to put them to death or throw them into prison. He was willing to travel 100 miles. He asked the, the chief priest to give him a list of all the names of the synagogues so that he could go hunt down these Christians and persecute them. And so we, we continue the story in verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And so again, on his way to persecute these Christians. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And so here Saul was on his way to the city of Damascus, seeking to uh, throw these Christians into prison and put some of them to death. And on his way, on his journey, on this road to Damascus, he encounters a bright light, and he hears someone say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds, who are you, Lord? He's not confessing uh, th this man who's talking to him as the Lord or as the Christ, but he's just saying Lord as a matter of respect. And he says, who are you, Lord, or who are you, sir? And he said, Jesus re replied, I am Jesus you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. And so Saul, on his way to persecute the Christians, fire in his heart, anger towards these Christians, and on his way, he see, he, uh, a bright light was shone uh, upon him, and he sees, he sees the Lord Jesus, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus tells him to go on his way. He says, I'm the one that you are persecuting. And so Saul, he, he was blinded by the light. And so his companions that were with him there to persecute the Christians, uh, they guided Saul to the city of Damascus. And Saul went three days without any sight, and he didn't eat or drink. 
Now, I imagine Saul probably had no idea that he was, as we're going to see, he was about to gain his sight. He probably, had, he probably thought that he was going to be blind for the rest of his life. And so we continue the story in verse 10 of chapter 9. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. All right, I got to stop there. Who was the clever one that called a street straight? I mean, <laughs> they say when, when, you, when you read through the scriptures again, you, you pick out something new, and I, I hadn't noticed this before, but who, who was the clever mind, the bright mind that named a, a street called straight? A uh, very, very clever one. They couldn't call a street called straight in South Carolina, as there's no such thing as a straight street in South Carolina. Each street would be called crooked or curved or not straight, if that's how... Uh, they uh, define them in South Carolina. But anyways, uh, <laughs> Jesus tells uh, Ananias to rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So here there was the, the disciple named Ananias, someone uh, who was seeking God and who had faith in uh, Jesus Christ. And, and so Jesus tells Ananias, uh, he says, go to this man Saul and, and uh, recover his sight. Go, go lay your hands on him so that he can see again and regain his sight. And Ananias' response is, Lord, haven't you heard anything about this guy? Don't you know that he is the evil man who is persecuting your Jews, or persecuting your Christians, your followers in Jerusalem? I mean, word spread out so much about how evil Saul was that, that this random disciple, Ananias, knew who Saul was and all the evil that he had committed against the church of God, against the church of Christ. And so Ananias, he, he had hesitancy at first, but, but Christ assured him, he said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. And so we continue in verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, who, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So here, Ananias uh, enters the house where Saul is laying, and, and he goes into the room, and he miraculously uh, enables Saul to regain his sight again. Uh, what a sight that would have been, as it mentioned, like scales from his eyes uh, uh, fell, and Saul uh, regained his sight. What, what, a, what a miracle, wonder, what a wonderful act. That's taken place here. Saul has received his sight. And Saul was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I want to take note here is Saul's reaction to this. And so again, I want you to remember the previous life that Saul had. His mission in life at this moment, the mission of what he was going to do was to persecute these Christians, to persecute the church of God. 
But Saul, after this vision that he had, after seeing the Lord Jesus and after regaining his sight, he immediately was baptized. And he immediately professed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. What a marvelous sight that would have been to see Saul, a Jew who was persecuting the church, take a total 180 and go and he's walking one way, persecuting the church, and then all of a sudden going in the other way and professing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And it says in verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. What a beautiful story we have here in the scriptures, as Saul on his way to persecute the Christians. And because uh, of, of the appearance of Jesus and because he regained his sight, he totally had a 180. He was totally persecuting the church, and then all of a sudden, it says, immediately. He, he, he didn't wait for some time to, you know, to debate it in his mind. You know, whether, is, is he really the Christ? Is he really the Son of God? No, it says, immediately. Immediately he went and proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. A man who considered himself the chief sinner, a man who was a mass murderer of Christians, had an immediate 180 events, had an immediate turn of events, had immediate change of heart and, and professed Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. Wow. Wow. And it says, and we continue verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Saul was so fire on for God and for his son, Jesus Christ. He, he was spreading this message that Jesus was indeed the Christ. He was indeed the Christ whom the Jews were looking towards for thousands of years. And Saul was preaching this message and sharing this message in the synagogues. And he, he was becoming, he had followers following so much so that the Jews then sought to kill Saul. One of their bright young gentlemen who, who, who was making his way up the ranks, who was considered a Pharisee of Pharisees. And all of a sudden now the Jews were seeking and plotting to kill Saul because of the great work that he was doing. This conversion of Saul, from Saul being someone who didn't believe in Jesus to all of a sudden having total faith in Jesus Christ and, and doing many great works and preaching for Jesus Christ is awesome. I love the story of the conversion of Saul because before his conversion, Saul was an awful man, an awful man uh, who, who was, he thought he was doing the right thing, but instead he, he was throwing these Christians into prison and killing them. And why I love this story so much is because he was an awful man before, but after this conversion, he was such a key figure in the New Testament. 
He played such an important role in the early church. Some, some consider that Paul was the single most important figure in the church throughout all of history, other than Jesus Christ himself. That's how big of a role that, that Paul eventually had in the church. Some, some deemed him as the most, single most important person in the church, in the history of the church. And so Saul, he, he later uh, changed his name to Paul, uh, is what we know now as Paul. And Paul, he went on to do many great works for the church of Christ, for the church of God. He, he went on multiple different trips to spread uh, the gospel message. Uh, in, in the book of Acts alone, uh, it's recorded uh, 56 different cities or towns that Paul traveled to to share the gospel message to these people to share the message that Jesus is indeed the Christ. 56 different cities or towns. That is crazy. That blows my mind. If you have your Bibles, many of you guys probably have maps in the back of your Bibles that shows the journey that that Paul took in sharing this good news that Jesus was indeed the Christ, that he was indeed the Messiah, that he was indeed the Son of God. Here I have Paul's first and second missionary journeys and his third missionary journey. If you have that picture, you can go ahead and show... Uh, that picture of uh, Paul's uh, journey and the many different uh, trips that he took in sharing uh, the truth that Jesus was the Christ. You don't, but he can't. All right, he'll, he'll pull that up. Thank you, Eric. And so Paul, he, he went to all these different cities sharing the truth that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Son of God. And Paul, on, on his many journeys and sharing this important truth, this truth that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, on his way, he, he was beaten on several occasions. He, he was nearly stoned to death. People thought that he was dead. He was that close to death. He was shipwrecked three times. He's bitten by a poison, poisonous snake. He went through it all. He suffered so much for Jesus Christ. He suffered so much for Jesus Christ, the same man whom he persecuted his followers, the same same person who he threw his followers into prison and killed them. He suffered all of that for the sake of Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. He laid it all on the line for God and his son, Jesus Christ. And he was eventually killed for this faith that he had in Jesus as he, he created an uprising. And so, yes, yeah, so there, there's the, the many different journeys that Saul took uh, as he was sharing this message that Jesus was indeed the Christ. What an awesome passion that he had that sent him all around uh, the Middle Eastern world, all around uh, where people were living, to, to share this important truth that Jesus truly was the Son of God. And without Paul, we would be missing nearly half of the books of the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Paul had such a big impact on the church, and he played such a key role in God's church. We're still reading his words today. Today, just in class, in our Sunday school class, we were reading the words that Paul himself wrote, the man who persecuted and killed these Christians. I love the story of Paul. Paul being a phenomenal hero of our faith. 
as a man who lived an awful life, he had a conversion, and he totally turned his life around for God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I, I want to I draw three lessons from the life of Paul. One is sometimes you got to hit rock bottom. Sometimes you got to hit rock bottom in, or, in order to devote your life to God. Saul here, again, someone who persecuted the church. He, he was on his way to persecute the church, and he was blinded by this light. Saul, he probably, he probably thought that he was never going to receive his sight again. All of a sudden, one day, he, j- he just lost his sight. And to hear the words of Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? Oh, the guilt that Saul would have felt at that time. As he thrown many people into prison and, and led many people to their death for the faith in Jesus Christ, to hear Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? I can't imagine the guilt that Saul would have felt at that time. I bet you that Saul felt like he was rock bottom. He's back at stage, stage one. He was knocked to his bottom. But that's what it took. That's what it took for Saul to give his life to Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we, we have to answer the difficult questions. And why do people go through difficult times? Why in the world do people suffer? And, and, that, and that's a great question to ask. And, and a question that I, that I haven't heard a phenomenal answer. But what I do know is that it often takes being in a difficult situation, in a difficult time, to give and devote your life to God and his son, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Saul did. He hit rock bottom, and that's what caused him to devote his life to God and his son, Jesus Christ. So sometimes you got to hit rock bottom. Second lesson that we learn from the life of Saul or Paul is that there's always Hope for someone as long as they're still living. This is uh, something that uh, I personally uh, have struggled with and still struggle with a bit uh, as uh, I have a loved one, a, a, a dear one to me, uh, whom, whom I used to look up to, and uh, he, he was, seemed like he had his life uh, going straight. Um, seemed like he was on fire for God, and I wanted to uh, be like him, uh, but unfortunately, um, well, it's my brother. I used to hide that as I was embarrassed to say that uh, my brother, um, no longer one uh, who is professing God as the Father and Jesus as a Christ, but has gone a total 180 in the wrong way, and uh, that I really struggle with a lot uh, in my life, um, dealing with What's, what's in my eyes worse than the death of a loved one is seeing a loved one turn away from God. And I struggle with that. And at times it seems like there is no hope for him. There's no hope for my brother who, who turned totally away from God, who's practically spitting in the face of God. It seems like at times there's no hope for him. But from what I see in the story of Saul, that it's never too late. It is never too late. As long as someone is still breathing and living, it is never too late. There's still hope for them because God works miracles. God works wonders. 
And that's a lesson that a lot of us probably need to hear this morning, as it's never too late for some of your loved ones to devote their life to God. As we see the story of Saul, Saul considered himself the chief sinner, the worst person, the worst sinner he considered himself. Even he turned his life around. And that can give us hope. That can give us hope that as long as someone's living, it is never too late. It's never too late for your loved ones to give your life over to God. So don't lose hope. Don't stop praying for your loved ones who haven't, who haven't given their life over to God. Pray for an experience like Saul did. Pray for an experience like, like a road to Damascus experience where they just got to hit rock bottom so they can see that God is in control of all and that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And the third lesson that, that I want to uh, take from uh, our great hero of faith, Paul, is that God can use anyone. God can use anyone. God can even use a man who killed his followers, who killed his son's followers, who killed the Savior's followers. God can use anyone. I don't care what anybody says. God can use anyone. God has infinite power. We, 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 we took a series. We talked all about God a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, how, and to hear that God breathed these stars into existence. God is all-powerful. And you better believe that God can use anyone. No matter what you have done in your past, God wants to use you. And God has a plan for you. <laughs> the only choice that we have is if we want to accept that plan that God has for us. If we want to live our life for God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's never too late. It's never too late to make that decision. It's never too late until you no longer live or until Jesus Christ returns. Make that decision now if you haven't made that decision. For God can use anyone no matter what you have done in your past. Some people have this misconception that you, you need to get your life right before you devote your life to God. No, that's not true. That's false. Paul, on his way to persecute these Christians, immediately... He, 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 didn't wait. He, he didn't wait a couple of days and, and decide whether or not Jesus was a Christ and decide whether or not he was good enough to be saved. Immediately, he was saved. Immediately, he was baptized. And immediately, he professed Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. And God can use anyone, and that includes you, that includes your family, that includes your friends, that includes your coworkers, your, your boss, whomever it may be. God can use anyone. God can use you. Three awesome lessons we learn from the life of Paul, from the great hero of our faith. That sometimes you got to hit rock bottom. There's always hope for someone as long as they're living. And God can use anyone. Three great lessons we learn from the life of Paul. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for uh, your word, uh, the Bible that we have for us to read and, and devour on, on a daily basis. Father, I thank you for uh, not only all the writings of the scriptures, but also the writings of Paul. Paul, a man whom you used to do your work, to spread the truth that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Son of God. Father, I pray that we can have a heart and a passion 
for your church and for you and for your son that Paul had for you and your son. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.